the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So when it comes to the nation of Israel and its people, what is to happen to them? Well, that's what we're sorting out here today on Abounding Grace as we take a look at Israel's salvation. Romans 11, that's next. When it comes to the latter chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul is rather thorough and in-depth. And here in chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, he takes a moment to explore and explain Israel's salvation, even after discussing the perils of unbelief that they example in chapter 11, as well as the fact that God never forsakes his people to begin with. It's all straight ahead as we continue our journey through Romans. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary and today's Abounding Grace. The Lord intends to bring good and life out of the things that make us hopeless. We don't know how he will do it. We don't know when. And that's because we are not gods. We are but worms. And we don't have to understand, though. We only need to trust him like Joseph did in Egypt. I mean, here's Joseph furiously saving the Egyptians. Did he know? Did he suspect that he was also put there to save his own family? Remember, we serve the God who brings the good out of evil, riches out of poverty, and salvation out of treachery. Now, verses 13 and 14 show the purpose of this controversial honesty on Paul's part. The Jews have fallen, and the Gentiles are raised up. Why? Well, Paul, of course, knows the Jews are evil in crucifying the Son of God. And he knew because he was one of them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew they had wandered far from God's truth. But Paul wanted the Gentiles to understand what God was doing in all of this. At some level, God is is doing all of this. He says, he is the apostle to the Gentiles, so I want to magnify my office. In other words, God has called me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And the more I do this, the more faithful I am in preaching, the more God bestows his abundance, his riches upon the Gentiles, which in fact then feeds another purpose God has, which is to restore his ancient people, because they had neither completely nor finally been cast away. So Paul wants the Gentiles to recognize what God is doing. God has sent the word to you because the Jews rejected it. Paul told his own countrymen in Acts 18, Your blood be on your own head. 
But as Paul says, the more diligent I am in preaching the gospel and seeking to save the Gentiles, the more the whole world enjoys the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And eventually, this will give way to the salvation of the Jews. Paul says at one level, I am testimony to this because I was Saul the Jew who killed many, many Christians. But God's grace, but by God's grace, the Lord turned me into Paul the Apostle. And Paul understands and wants the Gentiles to understand that God intends to do this same thing on a much wider scale. So by being zealous in his calling, Paul has not forgotten his own countrymen. He says in verse 14, I want to provoke them to imitation. The more Gentiles that are saved, the more they enjoy the blessings God promises in his word. Paul says the more pressure is put upon the Jews to say, look, man, at what we have lost. Look at what we have rejected. Look at the blessings they had out of our scriptures. Of course, I wonder sometimes how far we yet have to go. Because I dare say that the division and the distractedness of Protestantism with its electric church and entertainment worship and all the silly things we do in the West, that any serious-minded Jew is going to look at that and snort and say, I don't want that. So if we're going to be a part of this blessing, we are going to have to be serious and devoted to Christ And enjoy the fullness of the blessings that the Lord Jesus has purchased for us. Again, as I said earlier, Joseph, the more zealously he worked to save the Egyptians, he laid the groundwork to save his own family. And Paul said, I'm doing the same thing. I labor diligently to fulfill my calling to the Gentiles, knowing thereby the Lord will humble the Jews and eventually provoke them to repentance. Notice this rather profound phrase at the end of verse 14. And might save some of them. Does Paul take too much upon himself here? That I might by all means save some of them, he says. Well, he certainly knew that God does all the saving. And yet he was also firmly persuaded that God sends the preacher with the word. And that God uses the means of preaching to save the lost. Gospel ministers in some respects are in a partnership with God as they faithfully use the means that God has ordained men to be saved. Now again, it is for this reason that those who are called to preach, including me, that it doesn't matter how long, no matter how short, We must do so in faith, knowing that God not only does save men through the preaching of his word, but that he intends to. You know, it's a little bit different when you buy a lottery ticket and you scratch it off and saying, I might win, and holding the ticket and saying, this is the winning ticket. I've just won $100 million. I know it for sure. I don't even need to scratch it off. Paul said, that's the kind of faith that I know. But even as an apostle, he didn't know if God was going to save this person right now. 
Sometimes they had that kind of insight, but that was rare. But he did know that God had sent his rich word into the world to save sinners. So we need preachers that have this lively hope that God honors his word. That it's the very sword of the spirit. And when you listen to it today, God will use it to save you if you repent. And he will raise you to new life in his son. It doesn't do you any good to preach to men like you're giving them a theological lecture. It doesn't do any good to look at a sermon as an opportunity to display your gifts and your learning and how much you've studied. No, we speak as perishing men to perishing men. We speak as those whom God has saved. We preach His living word with confidence That this is the power of God unto salvation. Now if you don't respond. It's not the fault of God's word. It actually could be that God has brought a power upon you. And has hardened your heart. Oh pray that's not the case. Pray for repentance. You'll need this if God has called you to preach. You'll need this just as a Christian. If you're not a preacher with a capital P. But with a lower case, as if it is no big deal for regular believers to share the gospel, as we should. How in the world are you going to be zealous to speak God's mercy warmly when you meet a cold heart, unless you are persuaded the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Now Paul concludes in verse 15 with a very simple statement. Life from the dead. Which is what is going to happen when this great restoration occurs. We still hear, even though dispensationalism in its classic form has been so thoroughly trounced, at least intellectually, and by most theologians. But yet we still hear that old air that the Jews are God's earthly people. And the church is God's heavenly people. And some people extend this even into the heavenly age that there will be two different heavens, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. But in verse 15, we see how inseparable the destinies are of Jew and Gentile. By the way, throughout this whole section, there is no way to interpret Israel in a non-ethnic sense. It cannot be done because of the way he juxtaposes Jew and Gentile, Israel and Gentile. If you're going to make Israel here a non-ethnic entity, as some have, then you're going to have to have a real problem. Because then, what does Gentile mean? Why use this specific word at all? Why open the chapter with, I am an Israelite, a a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham? Paul is talking about the ethnic Jew. He's saying first in verse 15 that God cast them away, or that they were cast away for rejecting the Messiah. They were no longer God's people. And when that occurred, the world was reconciled. It was a bizarre chain of events. Bizarre. The bulk of the Jews rejected the apostolic preaching of the cross. Like Paul said, I'll go to the Gentiles then, since you show yourselves unworthy of the Lord of life. 
the Jews missed the day of visitation. But the world is being reconciled to Christ as a result of their rejection. But then Paul asks the question, what will their receiving be? Their recovery, their restoration, he says, will be life from the dead. The implication is that as glorious as the gospel expansion has been, as a result of the Jews' rejection and being cast away and the bringing in of the Gentiles, we are all a part of this. I mean, who could have thought 2,000 years ago there would be people listening to the apostolic scriptures, a letter to the Romans being read in the wilderness of Campbell, California. It's amazing how much the gospel has expanded. There are no calls for pessimism, as we will see in just a moment. But Paul says, as wonderful as that gospel growth has been, when the Lord receives the Jews again, it will be even more wonderful. And the gospel will expand even more as God's former people. Those whom God called to himself embraced Jesus Christ as their true Messiah. Now please understand, I am no dispensationalist. So this will not be a separate destiny. A Jewish church and a Gentile church. No, our Savior says there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. A true union of Jew and Gentile into one fold with one living shepherd, Jesus Christ the righteous one. Now there are many wonderful gospel lessons that can be learned from these four verses, not the least of which is the encouragement that we should receive when the Lord tells us that the future of the church is life, not death. Do you understand that? Your destiny is not death, it is life. You know, we see the wicked scheming and lying and Stealing and killing and extending their madness into every corner of our land. And we know God has given them the spirit of blindness. And we're tempted to think, boy, it seems to be all over for us. There's no future here. We should just simply give up. Well, let's not be crazy here. I can tend to be a little short-term realist myself. But I want to be a short-term realist under the authority of Scripture. Not by my feeble reading of history, which is always shot through with holes. Certain periods are marked by the most dreadful declension in the church's worship, doctrine, and practice. But what is Jesus doing behind the scenes? And what does he promise to do? He says, I will build my church. It is my church. I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. He intends to bring incredible gospel fullness to the Gentiles. Beloved, do you believe that? We have many of the riches today, but there are more. He doesn't say, well, then there is going to reach a point where the riches will stop, and everything is just dead, and We have a decaying culture. No, he intends to bring gospel fullness, he says. Therefore, 
we, because we are part of the church, we must be zealous for the master. There was a great enthusiasm in the late 19th century of working for the master. Remember the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee. This is lost today in the church. Take my life, but don't take my phone. Take my life, but don't take my favorite television show. I'm on show number 3,462. I can't stop now. Take my life? Really? Not all of us are preachers or evangelists in the former sense, of course. But every believer, every single one of you here today, from the youngest to the back to the front to the oldest, every single believer is duty-bound to do what he can in his particular sphere, with his particular gifts, to advance the cause of Christ in this world. Every single believer. Not one of you gets a vacation. No one can say, well, my reading of history tells me that it is hopeless, so let me run to the caves. You don't have that permission. God says, I'm going to bring fullness Our responsibility is to believe and to obey and to work because, after all, Christ is not a man. He is king. And we have his rule, his grace, his spirit. And we have his command not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil by good. To speak the truth in love. To believe God's promises. To live godly in Christ Jesus. Yeah, okay. Expect persecution. Expect hardship. But expect fullness. Because we live in God's world. So it is clear from this passage that God's intention for the church and for the gospel is to grow and to prevail even if it seems for a while to sink into a certain kind of death. What's he going to do? He will revive her again by his power. So we must be faithful servants in all things. Turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. It comes at the end of the parable of the wedding feast. He says in verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then in verse 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord, for their Lord, when he shall return from the wedding. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he, the Lord, shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Is your light burning? Yes, there are periods of decline and we'll feel very weak and we know the wicked are doing this and that. But understand that the king reigns at the right hand of the father to bring seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Are you ready for them? We don't know when the bridegroom is going to come and and visit this particular age again with renewal and grace and strength and opportunity. But we need to be ready. We need to be expectant because the king reigns. 
It's not the cronies in Washington. It's not the idiots in Hollywood. It's not the simple people on Stevens Creek Boulevard. Many of them are really lackeys of the devil. They're not in control. The king is. And he's going to visit his servants. Now, if we descend deeper into this passage of Romans 11, I cannot help but be struck by the fact that the world is very, very different than what we commonly hear today. Men think biblical religion is dying out today. But we see here that God has a long memory. (laughs) Have you ever thought about this? You know, I'll forget a verse I just memorized this morning by 5 o'clock this evening. But here is God quoting this 1,500-year-old verse because with God, the past is as present as the present is. This is the reality now. Wait a minute. I thought that was old. I thought that was, a, was in a dusty scroll somewhere. Beloved, God's scrolls don't gather dust because His Word is living and powerful and it shapes the course of history. God does not say, well, it looks like the Gentiles, or or at least the men of the West, have outgrown the gospel. And it looks like they have rejected it, so I've just got to be content with the crumbs I can get. Nor does he say about the Jews, well, you know, they are beyond saving now. I mean, some of them are held by Palestine. Many of them are scattered and some of them are engaged in all kinds of political and economic chicanery. So there's no way that God's original purposes can be filled and realized. Really? You know, if only our hearts could be gripped by this one conviction that God does not change. Men change. We're blown about like leaves. But God doesn't change. He spoke And his intent is secure. He's never stymied. He's not threatened. Perhaps he hardly even takes notice of what his grasshoppers are doing. He is just fulfilling his purpose and he is armed with power and with grace and will to save the worst of sinners. You know, if we would believe this, It would fill us with a daily sense of hope and purpose and confidence and joy. But also deliver us from that hopeless, melancholy, retreatus. Oh, woe is me. Let me hide with my family. That is so paralyzing to the gospel effort. You would not be here professing Christian. Had other people and other disciples adopted your same attitude towards the evils of their age. There's no hope. It's pointless. The ship's going down. I can't wait until it does go down. Those fools, they get what they deserve. That's not what the earlier Christians thought. Those Christians said things are always bad in the city of man. They're always bad where Jesus has his heel crushing the serpent's head along with all his little snakeling disciples. Things are always bad with the wicked. So what are we supposed to do? Overcome evil with good, not hide. Let's eat out the heart of the wicked by speaking the gospel. And beloved, there you are. 
because someone got off his duff and shared the gospel with someone within their sphere of influence. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.